me evaluating that trust starts within myself because I am from the African-American community. And so I just have to reflect with myself, how does this trust look? You know, how can I present this material so others can get it and understand it and know that I'm being honest with them and I'm bringing them the facts. And so before every education or before I do anything, I sit down and I just have to reflect because I know how I feel about certain things. And I know, even though I am a nurse, I know how I feel about healthcare professionals. And when I go to the doctor, how I know how I'm treated, despite what my education background is, um, despite my profession, I know how I'm treated. And I think I bring that into my education so we can have those conversations and I open it up, you know, and I, most of the time, pre-COVID, we conducted the education at churches because this was the the safe place. This was the haven. And so we allowed those conversations to happen. And so when those questions did rise and someone asked about how can we trust this information, it was me bringing them the facts, you know, and me being honest with them, letting them know that I had to work through the mistrust myself in order for me to bring it to you. And, you know, I think that they, they recognize that. And then also getting it from the, the faith leader as well, um, having them stand up and speak about it also assisted with, um, with any distrust or mistrust that they may have with the medical community. And just recently, one of the pastors um, for one of our promotional videos, she said that she said that the mistrust still exists. But we as pastors, we have to be educated in all these areas because they trust us and they're going to come to us before they go to a physician. I'm Dr. Regina Kett. I'm a board certified clinical psychologist and I specialize with older adults and families. I created the Psychology of Aging podcast to answer some of the most common questions I get about aging. Questions about mental health and wellness, changes in the brain like with dementia, relationships, and sex, caregiving, and even end of life. Like I say in my therapy groups, no topic is off topic. We just have to have a healthy way of talking about it. So if you're an older adult or caring for one, you're in the right place. Let's get started. February is African American History Month. In this past year, we have been face-to-face with horrific acts of racial injustice and health disparities with the COVID-19 pandemic. We know that COVID-19 has disproportionately affected Black and Latinx communities, and we've learned as a society that we cannot turn our back on systemic racism and health disparities that disproportionately affect Black communities. Today, I want to draw our attention to an important health disparity disproportionately affecting African-American seniors. That health disparity is dementia. African-Americans are two to three times more likely than white Americans to have a dementia disorder, but are less likely to be informed and educated about it. Today's guest has something to say and do about this. Today, I interview Dr. Fayron Epps. 
Dr. Epps is a nurse with 20 years of experience and is currently serving as an assistant professor at Emory University's Nell Hodgson Woodruff School of Nursing. Dr. Epps currently serves on the board of directors for Southern Gerontological Society, Alzheimer's Association, Georgia Chapter, and Meals on Wheels Atlanta. Her research involves evidence-based practice for promoting quality of life for African Americans with dementia and their family caregivers. Dr. Epps works with faith-based communities and other community organizations to spread dementia awareness and is currently working on a project with faith communities to develop dementia-friendly faith villages to support African American families living with dementia. I am so excited to interview Dr. Epps today. Let's jump into the interview. Well, Dr. Fayron Epps, thank you so much for joining me on the Psychology of Aging podcast. Can you share a little bit about who you are? Tell us your story. So who, who am I? So I am a assistant professor of nursing at Emory University. So that's my, my formal title. I've um, been at Emory for a year and a half, and my focus and my research primarily is in the African-American community. And it's working with uh, dementia families and making sure that they have the quality of life as they go through this journey. And I also partner with churches so um, churches can recognize that they are a key member of the um, care partner team for these families. So that's formally who I am, what I'm doing. Um, I've been in the Atlanta area for about four, four and a half years. So I moved from um, the greater New Orleans area. And so that's where I'm from. That's where a lot of my work started. And um, let's see. What else, Regine? I'm trying to see what else. Well, tell tell me, how did you get interested in working with African-American families living with dementia? So throughout all high school, college, I've always been, um, my work leaned more toward older adults. Um, just being with my grandmother, I say it just started right there, just being with her. And um, all of my papers, my thesis, reports, everything was for older adults. Um, I worked in the nursing home. So I just love and I respected what older adults brought to the table, their experience that they were able to share. I feel that it was important for me growing up to, to hear those stories um, so I can understand where I need to go. And then at the same time, I understood what are those areas that I can help others with. So more particularly, as it relates to how I got with dementia, for my postdoc training, I was informed, I was just looking at older adults, family caregiving, very broad. And they say, Fairon, that's really broad. It has a, they have a lot of things going on. You need to you know, narrow it down. And so I started going into the literature and I ran across Alzheimer's disease and how it disproportionately impacts the African-American community or communities of, of color. And I just never heard that before. And here I had my PhD, and this was my first time hearing that Alzheimer's disease, dementia impacts the Black community. At a greater and, level than yes, the white communities. Yes, correct. And so when I brought it to my family, they were like, that's not true. That's that's for white folks. We don't get that. And so I started reading more and more and looking at the signs and symptoms. And I was like, wait, this is true. Because I know some people in my family, 
that had some of these signs and symptoms, but we didn't say anything like, you know, because it it was never recognized that this happens in our community. And so that right there is what said, you know what, my goal now is to educate my community. So we'll know this is what's going on. And there are some things that we can put in place, you know, to help the families through this journey. And so that's how I got started with um, dementia families and especially in the African-American community. And because what's the downside then, uh, Dr. Epps, if we, if, if African-American communities um, don't have the information that Alzheimer's disease disproportionately affects their community, then, then what's the downside then if, if folks aren't getting um, information about Alzheimer's disease and if folks aren't getting access to resources, what's, what's the downside of that? Well, I think it's it's several downsides. And so, you know, we already know with the lack of education and lack of understanding, then you have poor quality of life you're going to have. So if you have your grandmother that's going through this and you don't understand it, you yourself would get frustrated. You would get mad. And some abuse might come out of that situation, right? Because you don't understand it. You might end up locking up your grandmother, your grandfather, um, all kind of things because you don't understand it. Then there might be some isolation for that person that is actually going through this because now you don't want to bring them out. You don't want to bring them back to church. You don't want to do these things because you're embarrassed and you have no clue what's going on. No one, you don't feel comfortable bringing it up to anyone because you don't think anyone else understands it as well. And so those are the things that I've actually seen um, in the community because there's that lack of education. And I just published um, an article when we were going into the churches educating about dementia and we did before and after. And before it was so negative, Um, curse words were used, tears. It was just so much frustration you can see. And then after the education, what you seen was understanding, patience, hope came out of the exercise that we did. So, you know, education is, plays a big part in um, trying to support those living with dementia. Yes. And just, and the access to services and resources and medication, if identified early on in terms of slowing down the progress of the illness. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, we did, when I did community events pre-COVID-19, we were face-to-face, um, I conducted memory screenings. And that was one of the things that we wanted to really get out in the community. Early detection was key um, as it relates to getting access to the medicines and some of the other resources. So I appreciate you bringing that up. But guess what? No one wants to come and get a memory screen, you know, even though it doesn't cost you anything, you know. And so now we need to deal with that because they don't want to know. I've received like, oh, I know I have a little memory issues. I don't need you to tell me. Okay. (laughs) Or I I don't want to know. I'm here for my mom. I'm not here for myself. That's just what's in. I'm like, hmm. And so, you know, it was so hard to get um, individuals to come to a private room to do the screening. It, It was very, very challenging. I bet. Yeah. What, what do you suppose has created this um, separation between access to this education about dementia and dementia resources in African-American community? Cause I still think a lot of folks in the community don't think it's a 
black people can get this. And so if it doesn't personally impact them, they won't attend. And so it's that's what I've been seeing is if they don't know anyone at work or have heard of anything, it's been a really challenge to get them to even come to the events. And even, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of things are online, but still, I mean, we know if this doesn't, I don't see the benefit of this. I'm not going to log in. Mm-hmm. You know, even though now a lot of people do have access to this education, but if they, they do not see the direct benefit, then they're not going to log in. And, you know, if they don't understand how it's really impacting their community, then they're not going to be part of the education or the awareness. So I think me as a nurse scientist and uh, my colleagues and healthcare professionals, we just need to be proactive. And we need to keep bringing it to the forefront and make sure it's involved is in all of our conversations. So even when I'm not working, well, I guess I am working because I'm bringing it up because even in, in my everyday conversations with my family, my friends, my colleagues, I bring it up, you know, because I think that's really important because if it does not directly impact them now, it's going to impact them in three to five years, some in some form or fashion. Yeah. You mentioned a few times about African-American churches and that you're partnering with African-American churches to sort of disseminate education and awareness, do memory screens, um, provide access to information. Why African-American churches? Can you talk about the importance there? Yes. Um, So the church is important to me and my family. Um, So I was raised in a church um, and that was the place that we got all the information we needed to, we needed. Um, We even ate there. We did everything at the church. And, you know, if you go in the literature and, you know, a lot of people know that, you know, the black church is the cornerstone of the black community. You know, even if you go back to the civil rights, I mean, this is where everything happened. This is where movements, I mean, this is everything. So not only are your spiritual needs met, but also these other needs that you have. And so that was my reason for saying, you know what, I'm going to start at the churches, you know, make sure that I can get the faith leaders on board. And so when I partner with the churches, the name of my program is Alter, the Alter Program. And this is where we're trying to shift and alter the perceptions of dementia in the faith community and also in the Black community. And so um, I meet with the faith leaders. And I, we go through all the statistics and we discuss this and, you know, I, they have to be on board on wanting to make change and wanting to be that resource for their parishioners and also for their community. And I think it's really, really key. And like you said, part of the program is we're equipping them, we're inspiring them to better support these families that are facing dementia. And we do that through support. Um, education and awareness, and also through worship. And so we have these three tiers that we work with them on, and we actually make sure that they have the resources that they can put these things in place. We, we also financially support them, right? So there's like no reason <laughs> we cannot do some of these things. And even during the pandemic, there's a lot of things that we can put in place, even if it's respite scholarships, and how, how significant is that for your church to provide you a stipend so you can get respite 
for a day or a half a day. To me, that's really significant to know my church did that for me without me, you know, trying to call all of these numbers or going online, clicking this and this. My church knew this is what I'm going through and they provided that to me. So something that can be so simple can be so meaningful for a family that's going through this journey. And that's just an example of what we um, support the churches in doing. Oh, I love it. So it's it's a combination of spiritual, emotional, community support, and education yes. and resources, which is great. And so you're you were saying that you work with the faith leader, and you have to be sure that the faith leader is on board. Yeah, that's you, key. yeah. How do you do that, and why is that key? Well, um, so for us to get into the faith community, we always have that one person, you know, a lot of people call them gatekeepers or just that one person to say, I want this at my church. And we said, that's great, but you got to get us a meeting with your pastor, your bishop. Um, you, you have to get us a meeting. And so once we get the meeting, you know, this is when we have the conversation. And then I have to tell you, sometimes it's just not on their forefront. It's not on their agenda at that time. And that's fine. We will loop back. But some of the pastors, once we go through it and we give them a quick education, then they start reflecting back and saying, wait, I had one bishop told me, so my uncle had dementia? We used to just laugh at him. He was sitting in the room in the corner when we have the you know get togethers and stuff, and we would just laugh. But listening to everything that you said, you're telling he had dementia. You know, and so, you know, that's an eye opening, eye opening for them. And they're like, wow, something that simple that I overlooked. Imagine what's happening within for my members in the community. And so those are some of the things that come out of our conversation. You know, people realizing my mom had vascular dementia and no one told us. Right. Because those signs and symptoms you just went through. That's what my mom had. And that's what my brother was dealing with. And I didn't know. Right. You know, and so, you know, they start coming up with their own testimonies um, and reflections as once we educate them. And that's the churches that are just really gung ho and say, you know what, we're going to put something in place, even though we don't know if any of our parishioners or congregants have dementia, because that's another thing in the black church. Like, in the black community, we're not saying anything, right, Regine? I mean, they're they're not saying anything. They don't tell their pastors. So when I fuss at the, I fuss. Yes, I do fuss. When I fuss at the pastors, they're saying, "But how are we to know if they don't tell us?" Right. And when I ask Sister Sister Sally, "Well, how's everything going?" She's going to tell me everything is going great. You know, that's just the automatic response that you tell your 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 leader. Oh, everything's going good. So then how are they supposed to know? And so it's two way, you know, making sure that the leaders are aware and sensitive, but then also educating the, the parishioners, letting them know that and then giving them that comfort level saying that it's OK to go to your leader. And we have the leaders mention dementia during the service. Like, you know, they can bring this up so that their visitors and their members can say, oh, okay, so-and-so does know this. And so um, it's a work in progress. 
<laughs> yeah. And we're working with several churches in Georgia, and we're also expanding outside of Georgia since a lot of things are more virtual. You know, on one hand, there's the there's the education piece. On the other hand, there is a trust history with the medical system, right? With yes. African-American families and access to information is the information. I mean, we see this happening right now with the COVID vaccine. Is the information that we're getting accurate? Do we trust that we're going to get access to resources and information, the information that we truly need? Me evaluating that trust starts within myself because I am from the African-American community. And so I just have to reflect with myself, how does this trust look? You know, how can I present this material so others can get and understand it and know that I'm being honest with them and I'm bringing them the facts? And so before every education or before I do anything, I sit down and I just have to reflect because I know how I feel about certain things. And I know, even though I am a nurse, I know how I feel about healthcare professionals. And when I go to the doctor, how I know how I'm treated, despite what my education background is, um, despite my profession, I know how I'm treated. And I think I bring that into my education so we can have those conversations and I open it up, you know, and I most of the time pre-COVID, we conducted the education at churches because this was the, the safe place. This was the haven. And so we allowed those conversations to happen. And so when those questions did rise and someone asked about how can we trust this information, it was me bringing them the facts. You know, and me being honest with them, letting them know that I had to go through this myself before I can bring it to you. Had to work through the mistrust myself. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. I had to work through the mistrust myself in order for me to bring it to you. And, you know, I think that they they recognize that. And then also getting it from the the faith leader as well, Um, having them stand up and speak about it also assisted with. Um, with any distrust or mistrust that they may have with the medical community. And just recently, one of the pastors um, for one of our promotional videos, she said that she said that the mistrust still exists. But we as pastors, we have to be educated in all these areas because they trust us and they're going to come to us before they go to a physician. And so we need to make sure that we are well-equipped, well-informed, and educated, not only on dementia, but other topics as as well, like you brought up with the vaccine. And mental health. Yeah. So I think, you know, having the faith leaders on board, providing testimonies with me, educating with me, and then also me making sure that I deal with the mistrust myself before I present it. I think that has helped when we present the material for it to be well-received. Okay. Can I ask you a personal question? Yeah. How did you work through your own mistrust? How, what do you do? And I'm asking because I think that there are people listening who might need to do this work too. And I think it could help to hear what you do. Yeah. So I think the main thing is me educating myself, no matter what the condition is, making sure that I'm well-educated about this. And when I do go to any of the providers, 
I know I have a choice. And I think that's what everybody has to realize. You have a choice. And preferably, I do prefer African-American providers, but that doesn't always happen in my area, in my network, for my insurance and all that great stuff. But when I do go to my provider and they're not African-American, for that first visit, if it's not, you know, if there's not a connection and if they're not there to listen to me, I have a choice not to return and to get another physician. And that's the part that I know. And I think that's what helps me work through it because I've, I've um, educated myself before I seek out the resources or before I go to any provider visits. And then I know if I'm not getting what I need, I have a choice not to return and to choose another provider. And I think a lot of people feel that they're stuck. Yeah. They're stuck with this doctor. They stuck with that. And and that's not, for the most part, that's not the case. I should say. Yeah. You know, that, yeah, you have, you have choices and, you know, and I'm, I, I speak up, you know, there's so many times, you know, and this is just recently. So before I wouldn't speak up, you know, I'm just will go in let them do what they have to do whatever. And I probably wouldn't pay attention to half the stuff they say, but now I know how important my health is. And I I speak up when I think they're not doing something correctly. And I think we in the black community, we have to, um, we have to do that. And we cannot be intimidated by the white coat. You are top educated though in healthcare. You're an, a nurse scientist, PhD, right? So imagine um, there's somebody that you're educating at church then at, who are not um, you know, a professional in the healthcare space. What would you suggest then? Because um, people might not know what to ask for or what the doctor might be missing. Do you have any recommendations there then? Well, that's the conversations we actually have at our, our, our meetings and even our webinars. We have these conversations on, okay, what should I ask? And I yeah. think, and, you know, of course you can go on the internet, but sometimes, you know, the it's still too high level or it's just yeah. like, well, oh, there's too many clicks and stuff like that. But I think going to talking with others and going to education events and in the education events are that's most beneficial is when you can have dialogue. Yes. And those that you can say, well, what should I ask? And, and that's exactly what happens in our events. What should we ask? What do we say? When, how about this? How does this happen? And, you know, we do algorithms. Um, we're like, you know, a pathway for the families to, to follow and we work them through that. Um, and we have a lot of families that would just call us. And so that's my part. You know, I might not have, okay, this is what you need to do beforehand. But when you're in a situation, because we don't know what situation you'll be in. Sure. You can call us. And we have faith leaders that call us because sometimes they just get really stumped and they don't know. What should I tell my member? Wow. Such a valuable resource and, and speaking to the importance of the relationship in the community. Yes. Yeah. And, and I feel good. You know, I feel so good when I get those phone calls because they feel they trust me. Yes. And then that keeps me going and make sure that I'm staying on top of my stuff so I can bring them the best information, but it feels really good when I get those phone calls, no matter what time it is. Um, 
And yes, I work 24 seven. That's what it feels like, but it's okay because I know that I'm really impacting and I'm changing things for, um, for folks and, you know, they can call me and just knowing that they were not afraid to pick up the phone and call or text me means so much to me. And I feel like, okay, I've done part of my job. Yeah, because you just created a sense of empowerment and a, and a sense of enti- you're entitled to excellent health care. Yes. You have three recommendations to give to Black families of what to do if they're concerned about an older loved one. I have one main recommendation <laughs> is go to the doctor to get a formal screening or a formal test. I mean, that's the only, I mean, that's the only recommendation that I have for that is for them not to be afraid and to go to the doctor. Um, some families may want to do a family meeting prior and, and that's fine, but you're going to also have to do a family meeting afterwards. And so the main piece of, of it is going to a provider. Yeah. So a nurse practitioner, a geriatrician, a physician, a neurologist, whatever they choose, but going to get that, um, to get that checked, to get it screened, to make sure, because it might not be a dementia diagnosis. Yeah. All right. It could be some other, it could be a vitamin B12 deficiency. It could be a urinary tract infection. And so those are a lot of things I want to tell people, you know, they're like, you, I tell them the signs and symptoms and they're like, oh, you're giving us a death sentence because I have eight of those symptoms and blah, blah, blah. And I'm not going to go to the doctor because I'm just going to live my best life and that's what it's going to be. But how about it's not dementia? And how about it's something that once you treat it, those signs and symptoms will not be there. And so it's really key to get it further evaluated. And so that is my main recommendation. Great. Now, if people want to learn more about the work that you're doing, educating Black communities and African-American churches, and how do they get to call you anyway, <laughs> um, what can they do? Where can they go to learn more about what you and, and the outreach you're doing? For those that are interested in more information, you can feel free to just Google my name, <laughs> Bayron Epps, and a lot of information will come up and it'll take you to some of my websites. But um, if you want to get directly in contact with me, you can call my Faith Village number. And that's the name of my research lab. It is 678-723-8188. And you also can email us at faithvillage at emory.edu. Excellent. And you're, are you doing any uh, Faith Village community work outside of Atlanta and Georgia? Yes, I am. So a lot of our education, since it is virtual, we can do it across the country. Um, and a lot of my research programs are done remotely and from distance. So we also have a lot of families that we recruit outside of Georgia. And one of the main things, Regina, if you don't mind me mentioning um, here, is we've worked with bishops because, um, you know, we talked about the spiritual connection, being spiritually supported. And um, we've designed a dementia-friendly online worship service that are no longer than 10 minutes. And we're actually looking, currently looking for families to give us feedback 
own that before we can really scale it out and maybe put it in um, assisted living settings or even long-term care settings or nursing homes. Um, so we have a lot of work that we're doing that is faith-based because we want to make sure that we spiritually support those that are going through this journey. Now, just to be clear, these are 10 minute worship services for people living with dementia. Correct. That's and, so cool. And we tailored it for the black community. Yeah. Well, uh, and because you're looking for feedback, perhaps you could give me a link to that and I can include that in the show notes as yes, well. I will. And I'll include that phone number and a link to the Faith Village's website. Dr. Fayron Epps, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. And I admire the work that you are doing to provide education and access to important health information. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. That's all for today. Now it's your turn. All you have to do is subscribe, leave a review, and share this episode with others so that they can be part of the conversation too. One last thing, a special thanks to Jasmine Joyner, our Psychology of Aging podcast intern, for all you do. Lots of love to you and your families. Bye for now.